0: KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.
1: Overdose deaths are on the rise across the country and county.
2: We also saw a really significant increase between 2020 and 21, something just above 16%.
1: I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition.
3: This story of a nurse helping patients 8,000 feet in the air. Starting and being able to institute the therapies right at the scene, that is huge. So we make use of those valuable minutes that people have that make the difference between success and tragedy. Plus, uh, look at what's happening on the art
1: scene for your weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Overdose deaths in the U.S. reached a grim new record, according to new figures released earlier this week. More than 107,000 people died from overdoses in 2021, an increasing majority of them opioid related. Here to tell us about how the problem is impacting San Diego is Luke Bergman, director of San Diego County's Behavioral Health Services Department. Welcome back to Midday Edition.
2: Thanks so much, Dick.
1: What was your initial reaction to this increase in overdose deaths?
2: Well, hearing the national data, I have to say, wasn't surprising to me because we've been closely tracking what's been happening locally. And we're seeing increases locally that actually, by small margin, are greater than the percentage increases that the CDC recently reported across the country. So this is something that we have known is a serious problem. It's something that we have known is going to require a sustained and innovative response. So we also saw a really significant increase between uh, 2020 and 21, something just above 16% uh, in total uh, accidental overdose deaths uh, within the county of San Diego.
1: Overdose deaths have been an upward trend now for decades, as you've mentioned. Um, Why do you think that is?
2: What we see is sort of overlapping waves of uh, an overdose, of the overdose death epidemic. We're now in the midst of a third wave, with maybe even sort of a sub-fourth wave, which is really characterized by fentanyl, um, the massive expansion of fentanyl, first as a a contaminant um, that was appearing in lots of other substances. So heroin kind of initially and primarily, but then it's also, you know, Uh, been pressed uh, into an array of uh, what look like um, conventional pharmaceutical medications, uh, including things like Xanax. And most recently, what we're seeing uh, is actually the emergence of a cohort of folks who are seeking fentanyl. So people who are not exposed to fentanyl just through accidental uh, contamination, um, but folks who would identify themselves as fentanyl users and, uh, and who are deliberately seeking out fentanyl as a substance of use
1: because so many opioids and illicit drugs are laced with fentanyl. What challenges does that bring to this problem?
2: So fentanyl represents new challenges on the supply side. Um, uh, partly because we're seeing it in other substances, as you're mentioning, right? It's uh, it, it, you know it's well understood, I think, as a as a kind of public health contaminant. But it poses challenges to a supply side uh, approach, just generally, even if it's not being misrepresented as something else. It poses challenges to supply side or interdiction interventions because it is so powerful um, that very small amounts of it of it can have really significant impacts on broad swaths uh, of the community. It's, it's colorless, it's odorless. It is very easy uh, to transport illicitly, very easy to smuggle. And so it has really flummoxed what have been the kind of traditional supply side interdiction efforts to control um, illicit substance use.
1: Last month, the Biden administration announced its drug control plan prioritizing harm reduction. Can you explain what harm reduction is?
2: So harm reduction is a a very tried and true, a traditional, I would even say, public health approach. And it's maybe best known, actually, through efforts to address uh, HIV and AIDS in the past uh, century, where harm reduction interventions like the distribution of condoms were prioritized. Also in the midst of the AIDS epidemic, that harm reduction effort was also emphasized in services like syringe service programs. So these are programs that, you know, as with condoms, there's an acknowledgement of the likelihood of continued sexual intercourse with addiction and substance use. It's really important to acknowledge that this is an incredibly challenging to address chronic illness and that what we need to do in the face of what we know is going to be likely relapse, likely ongoing use as people strive to enter into recovery, we need to do everything we can to reduce harms to those folks during those periods of initial and hopefully long-term engagement. Harm reduction represents a very broad set of approaches that, of course, include syringe service programs, but also include socially supportive services, services like the distribution of uh, naloxone, uh, better known uh, as as Narcan, which is a a medication that reverses uh, overdoses, And in fact, what we see, and this is also from uh, CDC data, is that among people who enter harm reduction services, so people who engage with harm reduction services while still using drugs, there is a five times greater likelihood uh, that those cohorts will end up entering formal treatment and wind up in long-term recovery.
1: Is San Diego County employing a similar approach to the White House's approach?
2: The approach in San Diego County currently is also very em- emphasizing harm reduction. And so the most effective treatments for opioid use disorder, for example, involve medications, methadone, um, but also medications like buprenorphine, which is available uh, through, through primary care clinics, um, housing. We know that people who face substance use disorders are at some elevated risk for homelessness. And we know that Access to housing has been particularly challenging for people with established substance use disorder. And public housing efforts have, by policy, historically excluded folks with substance use disorder. So we are really trying to address that through an array of new services, including the service that we call Safe Havens, which is transitional housing for people with substance use disorder. And this is low threshold transitional housing meant for people with substance use disorder and really meant to carry a low threshold harm reduction approach and orientation.
1: Just last month, it was reported San Diego saw 13 overdose deaths in the span of three days. What does San Diego need to do to make sure 2022 doesn't set another record of overdose deaths?
2: We need to, to make sure that there is naloxone in the hands of everybody who may be around someone who is overdosing. We need to make naloxone as available and as easy to access as, as condoms have been for a long time. That, that would be an important step that likely could have an impact on the kinds of spikes in overdose deaths that you just mentioned, Jed. But to have sustained impact, we need to push more capacity for substance use care into mainstream healthcare. We need to make sure that housing is available, both transitional as the safe havens that I've just described would do, but also long-term and permanent supportive housing is available for people with substance use disorder. And we need to support a sustainable workforce in the county of San Diego to make sure that the services and programs and interventions that are going to make a difference are ones that we can keep offering to this community into the future.
1: Luke Bergman is San Diego's Director of Behavioral Health Services. Luke, thanks for having this conversation with us.
2: My pleasure, Jade. Thanks so much.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.
1: This week was National Nurses Week, and it put a spotlight on healthcare heroes. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman brings us the story of a nurse who works with patients 8,000 feet in the air.
3: If you need us in anywhere in San Diego, we can respond.
4: Meet Mercy Air Flight Nurse Kelly Foreman.
3: Our godmother is up here.
4: Colleagues call her the godmother of air medical services in San Diego.
3: 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's a resource that's just like this. And you wouldn't really know about us until it's your worst day of your life.
4: For the last 27 years, she's been responding to emergencies all across Southern California in helicopters. We caught up with her at Mercy Air's Oceanside Base. They have multiple locations in the county ready to respond at a moment's notice.
3: The pagers go off, the tones drop, and it can be anything from a motor vehicle accident, it could be someone having a heart attack out in the east county, it could be a drowning on the beach. And we have to be prepared to take care of everything.
4: These helicopters are sort of like flying ambulances, only they can do more. Each crew has a flight nurse and a paramedic or a physician on board. It's literally an intensive care unit in the air.
3: This bag, we call it Bob, big orange bag. It's 34 pounds of emergency room right here and now.
4: Onboard board, crews carry a variety of medications, and they're able to do transfusions mid-flight.
3: This is the life-saving stuff that, you know, you just don't really appreciate that's there, and that's that we carry blood and we carry plasma.
4: Every second matters when responding to emergencies, and typically air crews get called to remote locations or to scenes where patients desperately need attention.
3: Starting and being able to institute the therapies right at the scene, that is huge. So we make use of those valuable minutes that people have that make the difference between success and tragedy.
4: During her years as a flight nurse, Foreman has helped save thousands of lives. Some days are tougher than others, especially when she's the last person a patient sees.
3: It's so easy by grabbing a hand and just reaching down and leaning down and saying, my name is Kelly, I'm gonna be there for you. I am gonna take you all the way to your next doctor and sadly enough sometimes I have walked all the way to the Lord and that is a really tough place to be but that's part of what we have to do sometimes people don't live and you have to understand that it is it is the role of that person that is there with you to be that comfort and that strength when they don't have it and and I don't know what is on the other side, but I know that I am gonna be with you till you take your very last breath, and you will not be alone. All right, kids.
4: Part of Foreman's job is also helping to train resident physicians from UC San Diego Health. She loves what she does, and now 61, Foreman doesn't have any plans to slow down.
3: If I could go off of the passion in my heart, I would be here another 27 years.
4: Foreman says to this day, she still gets the same adrenaline rush for every call. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
1: You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. This weekend in the arts, the Joffrey Ballet comes to town, a new solo play opens at the Old Globe, and there's a lot happening in the visual art world. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: So let's start with visual art. At Bread and Salt Gallery in Logan Heights, there are multiple exhibitions opening Saturday night. What can we expect?
5: Yeah, there's something like eight different exhibitions on view this weekend. It's the second Saturday Barrio Art Crawl. So they open up the space in the evening. Mujeres Brewing Company will be on site in the courtyard. And this month, they've also timed a bunch of new exhibitions to open. Joe Yorty and Joe Kentral have a new collaborative exhibition in the main Bread and Salt Gallery space. And it's a mixture of found art and found sound. And one of the installations is a combination of Kentral's found answering machine tapes with Yorty's collection of fake stone outdoor speakers. That's one example. Uh, At the Athenaeum Art Center, also in Bread and Salt, There's a group show featuring works on paper by Sage Serrano and Tijuana-based artists Carolina Betancourt and Carla De Rio. From what I've seen, this is all really unexpected uses of paper, sometimes rendered unrecognizable, and other times they use surprising materials like copper and patina to kind of paint on the paper. At Best Practice, Artist Nico Mueller will open a solo show, and that includes some of his fiber art sculptures, where he sort of folds and and drapes the canvas. And in the brick room at Bread and Salt, there's this exhibition of works by first year MFA students that are from the UCSD Visual Arts program. There are also a few exhibitions that have been open a little while already. Anya Galaccio's big tree sculpture, that's at Quint 1, James Brown's architectural exhibition at Not an Exit, and Jamie Frank's ephemeral site-specific work at Ice Gallery is still on view. And Ricardo Galvin has just begun his artist residency in the studio. So this is all at Bread and Salt in Logan Heights, and you can see it all Saturday night from 5 to 8.
1: And at the Downtown Sparks Gallery, there's a new exhibition by painter Charlene Mosley. It's called Pollinators, and it's about nature, right?
5: Yes and no. Uh, mostly has been long fascinated by pollinating insects, birds, bees, and butterflies. And this has manifested into this series of works, but it, it kind of parallels the labor of pollinators, which is largely underappreciated. She parallels that with the labor of women of color, which she says is also underappreciated and untold. Now, her paintings are really full of depth, there's, there's vivid portraiture in these, and the women are surrounded by highly detailed birds or flowers, insects, butterflies, there's even a fox. <laughs> and it kind of, for a split second, kind of evokes this fairy tale princess and that trope of having an army of woodland creatures. But there's definitely a desperation or a curiosity in the sharp edge to these paintings, There's a reception from Mosley's exhibition, as well as the annual Sparks Gallery mini show. Those are all small paintings from a bunch of regional artists. That's all Sunday evening from 5 to 8 p.m.
1: And in the theater, the Old Globe is opening a
5: solo one-woman play called Mala. Tell us about this one. This is a play by Melinda Lopez, who is also the solo actress in the English language version of this play. It's based on her own lived experience, being the caretaker for her Cuban immigrant mother as she approaches death. And the play centers on the sort of evolving grief and heartache in that process. The script's really approachable. It's funny. Everything's laid bare. And it also navigates the relationship between two sisters and how the the differences in the way that they care for the mother and how that results in resentment between them. This weekend shows are 8 o'clock tonight. Tonight. 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Saturday and 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. on Sunday, and it runs through June 22nd. They're also presenting this in a Spanish-language version, and you can find a list of those select dates for the Spanish performance on our website.
1: Finally, the Joffrey Ballet is coming to town for one night only. What are some of the works they'll be performing?
5: Right? This is the iconic Chicago based ballet company, and they're currently on a very brief West Coast tour. They're performing three works, including company choreographer Nicholas Blanc's new ballet called Under the Trees Voices. They're also doing Liam Scarlett's 2013 work that's kind of abstract and, and baroque feeling. And they're also doing a really high energy ballet called The Times Are Racing which is described as a sneaker ballet, and the dancers do wear sneakers. It's set to Dan Deacon's experimental electronic composition, America, which is sort of similar in that modern classical crossover, just like the style of the ballet. And the Joffrey Ballet performance is at the Civic Theater on Saturday at 8 o'clock. You can find details on these and more
1: arts events or sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Jade. Have a good weekend.